with that, let's pray, and we'll get into our passage for today. We're, we're, we're working our way through Timothy, and we now come to 1 Timothy chapter 5, verses 17 through 25. Lord, we do thank you for this day. We thank you. Lord, we, we gather here um, as a community of believers. Uh, we, we gather here, uh, maybe even non-believers who are interested in learning about you. But Lord, we, we acknowledge the great freedom and benefit and privilege that we have um, to gather in this place um, to worship you, to, to, to study your word, uh, to fellowship with one another um, with, with great freedom, great security. And, and so, Lord, we don't take that lightly. Uh, we have many brothers and sisters around the world who don't have this freedom. And they uh, worship you regardless of the fears that they face and the, the realities of uh, the persecution that they're under. And so, Father, I pray that you would help us um, to take this time seriously. Uh, pray that you would uh, speak to us through your word. I pray that you would um, connect with our minds and hearts and help us to understand um, just a, a, a part of your plan, what you're doing in our midst. Help us as a church to honor you um, with the resources uh, that you've blessed us with, Lord. Help us to uh, honor you with our lives. Um, Father, we pray that you would help us as a church um, to be a part of fulfilling the Great Commission uh, for this community, for our, our neighbors, for the county, for our nation, and around the world. Um, Lord, we do uh, ask that we would honor you uh, with that calling that you have called us to. Uh, Lord, we give you thanks for this day, and it's in Christ's good name we pray. Amen. First Timothy chapter 5, verse 17 through 25. The elders who rule well are to be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who work hard at preaching and teaching for the scripture says, you shall not muz muzzle the ox while he is threshing, and the laborer is worthy of his wages. Do not receive an accusation against an elder except on the basis of two or three witnesses. Those who continue in sin rebuke in the presence of all, so that the rest also will be fearful of sinning. I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus and of his chosen angels to maintain these principles without bias doing nothing in a spirit of partiality. Do not lay hands upon anyone too hastily and thereby share responsibility for the sins of others. Keep yourself free from sin. No longer drink water exclusively, but use a little wine for the sake of your stomach and your frequent ailments. The sins of some men are quite evident, going before them to judgment. For others, their sins follow after. Likewise also, deeds that are good are quite evident, and those which are otherwise cannot be concealed. And Father, we do thank you for your word. We look to you for help and guidance, and it's in Christ's good name we pray. Amen. All right, so I come to a passage that I acknowledge is a super awkward passage because uh, we're talking about money, and any time money and resources within the church... Um, come up, it, it becomes sort of a, an awkward situation. Um, 
I obviously did not cover this passage last week in Easter. Um, Easter is about the resurrection, but now we're resuming our study. And uh, coming to this text, I, I realized the sort of the awkwardness of it if I consider that there would be visitors in our midst. Um, this passage is, it really, all of Timothy is a, a very sort of in-house uh, discussion from Paul the Apostle to Timothy the young pastor who was called to lead um, to, to lead the sort of the grooming, the equipping, the placement of elders to help the church or churches in the region of Ephesus. As we come to this section, it's important to kind of keep the context of, of the whole of Timothy in, 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 in mind. <clears throat> we're, we're not having this section because I'm trying to like make a plea for the, the, the offering, the budget, the whatever. Um, we're coming to this passage because we've been going through Timothy and it, it, it comes up. We've already taken the offering. There's not another, like, there's not another plea for money coming up. Uh, th- this is in the context of the whole of Timothy and it's, to remind us of 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 15, where Paul writes to young Timothy, and he says, you know, I, I, I hope to come to you soon, and I hope to talk to you face-to-face to help coach you in this task that I've called you to. I'm, I'm adding a little bit of Gunner's color to what he said. And he said, but until then, I'm, I'm writing you these things so that the church should know how it ought to act how it ought to conduct itself. Um, the, the, the church or congregation, I'm going to try to intentionally use congregation today for, for the sake of our minds. When we hear church, I don't know what you think of. It's so easy to think of the building as the church. The building is a place where the church meets, where the church gathers, where the, where the congregation comes together. We are blessed as a congregation to have this location that we can meet at to worship, but the church is the people, not the building. And so Paul writes young Timothy, and he's coaching and guiding young Timothy to help young Timothy understand how the church ought to conduct itself and how it needs to go about things. And so we begin. We're just going to jump right in. Verse 17, we read, The elders who rule well are to be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who work hard at preaching and teaching. And so the first phrase that jumps out at me in this is, the elders who rule well. Uh, that, that word rule kind of, it, 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 I don't like the way it sounds. Uh, maybe that's because I kind of push back against authority and, uh, or maybe I've been under bad authority. Uh, the, the word is the word manage. It, it's the same word that's used back in 1 Timothy chapter 3, the first seven verses. If you just want to flip back there, um, <clears throat> One of the things that Paul tells Timothy that is that in the situation of the church, it seems that the church was sort of spreading and growing, and we know there were a group of churches. Um, Later in the book of Acts, when Paul's nearing the end of his life, we're told that he sailed past Ephesus to go to Miletus, I believe was the town, just south a little bit. And he, he called for all of the elders to come meet him there because he knew he was going to his death. And so you get the idea that there were a handful of churches in this this region of modern-day Turkey. And, and so in chapter 3 of Timothy, Paul tells Timothy, as you're looking to, to 
raise up young men, men to fill, or not necessarily young men, but men to serve as pastors or elders, teachers within the body of Christ. These are characteristics uh, to look for, to examine their lives, to, to press against them, to see if they're men who have the integrity and character uh, to serve in this capacity. By the time you come to verse 4, the man's family life is, is, is put in a spotlight, and we read there that he must be one who manages, same word as rule that we see in 1 Timothy 5, chapter 17. It's the word manage. And we're told here, he must be one who manages his own household well, keeping his children under control with all dignity. But if a man does not know how to manage his own household, how will he take care of the church of God? So we're, Timothy's told, when you look at a guy, look at his family. And if his family, if he's managing and leading his family well, there's, there's a good indication that he'll probably be able to lead the church well. And so now we come to 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 17, and we're told the elders who rule well or manage the church well, uh, namely in preaching and teaching, leading. Uh, we're told those who uh, work hard. Um, the, this, this, this picture of working hard is a guy that is... Uh, a farmer, plowing fields, hard labor-intensive sort of work. This, this is the image that Paul uses concerning those who have the task of proclaiming God's word uh, on, a, on a daily, weekly basis, that, that their, their responsibility before God is leading the church through teaching his word. Um, we're told of the significance of this. Back in chapter 4, verse 16, Paul tells young Timothy to, to, to recognize the um, severity, the soberness of his calling. Um, he says in verse 16, to pay close attention to yourself and to your teaching, to persevere in these things, for as you do this, you will ensure salvation for both yourself and for those who hear you. And so Paul says, Timothy, take this seriously. There's, there's, there's great things at stake here. People's souls are on the line, and how you teach, how you lead, it's critical. Your personal life and your public life, you need to keep a close watch on these things as you lead. You need to work hard. Um, the... I'm going to say the awkwardness of this passage because I happen to be an elder at this church. This, the, the guy that he's talking about, it happens to be the position that I find myself in. I've never in my life had a position where I've had to like teach, you know, like kind of put yourself on fire before everybody. Um, but when I read this, part of my conviction, I, I, I think when I first began to I was going to say explore the ministry, but the reality was I was being drugged into the ministry by God. Like I was not like, hey, let's like go to Bible college and let's go become a pastor. Um, that, that's not how it went with me. Um, I found myself in the Middle East. I was actually in Kuwait. And, and um, I, I was preparing for a marathon when I got back. Like we were doing work, and so I'm like, oh. I was trying to impress a girl and... and there was this thing to raise money for missionaries, and this girl was a missionary, missionary background, and so I thought, oh, 
there's a, there's a marathon to, to raise money for missionaries. That seems like a great way to impress the girl. And it dawned on me later that this, this marathon was in Denver, which was a bad idea um, for your first marathon. I don't recommend Denver. Um, and, <clears throat> and so I found myself on the treadmill a bunch in, in the Middle East, like running, 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 and I would listen to messages, messages, messages. And, and I, I, I distinctly remember a message by a man who I have no idea what the content, I have no idea what the passage was, what he was talking about, but he started talking about um, young men and individuals who wanted to come to him to be sort of mentored and discipled as young pastors. And he was sort of complaining in a way that the, the work ethic of these young guys that were coming to him, they kind of thought that the, the ministry was kind of like a, a weekend retreat that never ended, that they were just kind of like, being fed and just, you know, uh, singing camp songs and having a great time nonstop. And, and so he was sharing in this message uh, uh, about how he has to really, like, beat these guys up and, and explain to them that it's hard work. It's, 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 it's the image of, of warfare and being a soldier, a farmer, um, a, a, an athlete. These are the images that the scriptures use for those who are following after Christ and and at the time, I was like, I, mean, I was a Navy SEAL in the Middle East doing combat sort of work, and, and it was like firing me up. It was like, this is awesome. This is like, I'm all about hard work. And I've really appreciated, I'm so glad that God called me to a place like Valley Center where there's, um, like, I would say that the bulk of Valley Center residents are just like a resilient, hard-working people, like, t- like tough, hard-headed, um, <laughs> my kind of people, you know? Like, and, and so, like, so when I look at this, it's, it's, it's convicting to me. That, that, and I, I think I share, so when I read that the elders who rule well, especially those who work hard at preaching and teaching, is like, like, I absolutely love my calling. I love this, the context that God's call, calling me into or have, has called me into. I, I, I appreciate and value the, uh, the distinct privilege of, of having a setting where my responsibility is to teach the Word of God week in and week out. And, and I don't take it lightly. And um, I, I'm not saying this to, like, complain, like, like, I, I, um, I probably wasn't a gifted student growing up. Like, school is something that found me through seminary. Like, I was forced to read. But in my study, like, I, 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 like, work like a dog because I think that's what I'm told to do. Or an ox is probably more appropriate. Because I understand the responsibility that's been placed on me as an elder of this church, that I'll give an account for your souls and my teaching. And so it has nothing, like, Gunner's opinion isn't very important at all in anything, but the scripture is God's revealed word to us, and I have the responsibility of conveying what this says, and it takes work. Um, But so now what Paul is telling Timothy, so I'm trying not to get myself in the limelight, but kind of keep the picture of like what's being said. So Paul is telling young Timothy that as he is leading the church, 
raising up elders to place into positions. He said those elders who manage the church well, they're worthy of double honor, especially those who work hard at preaching and teaching. Um, He goes on to say, for scripture says, you shall not muzzle the ox while he is threshing, and the laborer is worthy of his wages. So he quotes, it's it's difficult. Um, the, The first is really easy. He says, for scripture says, you shall not muzzle the ox while he is threshing. He's quoting Deuteronomy chapter 25, verse 4, and it says exactly that. Uh, the picture of, uh, is of an ox uh, threshing. You think of uh, grain, and what they would do is there'd be a big round stone thingamajigger, and there'd be another like wheel-looking like stone, and there'd be a, a, like a stick going through it, and then they would connect it to the oxen, And the oxen would walk around in circles, and as the oxen walked around in circles, it would wheel the wheel around in circles, and as it wheeled around, the grain would be sort of broken up, and it would be a a messy operation, and stuff would be going everywhere. And the oxen is providing increase for the farmer or the person who's harvesting, um, uh, doing the mechanical work to basically take the, the wheat into a usable form. And it, and it says that you shouldn't take that oxen and cover his mouth so he can't eat while he's doing this work. The, the idea is like the, the oxen's doing all of this work and it, he's providing for you and, and as there's wheat that's being harvested, let the oxen eat because he's worthy of this. Then there's the labor is worthy of his wages. Now this could be referring to Leviticus chapter 19 verse 13. And in that section, it's not as clear. It's not like word for word. But it talks about uh, that if you hire an individual and they do work for you that day, pay them that day. Like, if they do their work, pay them. Don't, don't uh, let them do their work and say, oh, I'll pay tomorrow. And then tomorrow comes. It's like, ah, well, I got to wait until I get paid by so-and-so. There's the kind of the idea if the laborer does his work, you pay them, period. Uh, Jesus also said this a couple of times. He's quoted in Luke chapter 10, verse 7, is saying this exact thing, the labor is worthy of his wages. So the, the question is, is Paul quoting Luke's writing as scripture already? It's possible. Or is he quoting Jesus directly, who's kind of referencing this spot in, in Leviticus? Um, but, but as he says, that the, that the elder who rules well or manages well, who especially um, those who preach and teach, they're worthy of this double honor. And then Paul says, for scripture says, you shall not muzzle the ox, while he is threshing, and the labor is worthy of his wages. To sort of support this claim that the elder or pastor is worthy of taking a salary, essentially in layman's terms. Now, now the backdrop to this passage, just again, 1 Timothy 3.15. Paul is writing to young Timothy to explain to him how the church ought to conduct itself. Um, we see all through this letter that there is great... Um, expectations, great uh, requirements placed upon the elder who's serving in this capacity. Uh, in other places in Scripture, James 3.1, we see uh, that a person shouldn't take on the role of teaching for they're going to they're gonna be held to a higher standard of judgment. Uh, Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17, and referencing the elders or the leaders that are in this 
uh, capacity, it, it basically says, like, don't give them a hard time because um, they keep watch over your souls as one who will give an account, which is a terribly sobering warning. I'm concerned enough about facing my own judgment, and like, I hope that you guys all do great, you're, and you're all going to do, you're all going to stand before God on your own account, but somehow in that final accounting, I'm going to give an account for how I shepherded y- y- your souls. And Timothy goes through the responsibility of the elder over and all of the things that the elder is responsible for to the congregation. And now Paul is telling the congregation its responsibility to to various things. Not not just the elders, because remember what we just came at two weeks or three weeks ago because Andrea was here, then we had Easter. But but to sort of refresh us, uh, 1 Timothy 5 verses 3 through 16, that was dealing with the widows. And so the, the congregation was told that there's a responsibility to these widows. And as it dealt with widows, Paul went through sort of a list of uh, basically a way to discriminate. If there's any way for the church not to take on the burden of caring for a widow, it's, it's supposed to, to delegate it to the family or whoever else. But as you sift through the widows, Paul writes that, that you'll, you'll reach a place where you'll identify a widow that has no family, no means, nothing. And there's a way for that widow to then enter into a relationship with the church where she's put on the list and, and she was able to put it, go into covenant with the church, the church would go in covenant with her, and there'd be this, this lifelong sort of covenant. Immediately from that section of the widows, he shifts to the elders who are worthy of this double honor. And so it's... it's it's talking about the church's responsibility to those who shepherd. Um, this double honor, some, uh, some, there's two main thoughts. One school of thought is that it's saying that it's, that the guy's worthy of twice the amount of pay. I don't hold that. <laughs> um, I, I think that there's, um, the, the, the double honor has to do with, um, the one portion of honor is the amount of respect that that comes to the individual in 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 the position of elder, the one who's teaching. I, I referenced Hebrews thirteen seventeen, and there the author writes, "Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they keep watch over your souls." And so there's this idea where the scripture says, "Hey, those guys that shepherd you, they have a lot on their backs." Um, they're responsible for your souls. So when you deal with them, treat them respectfully and, and, and with love. First um, Thessalonians 5, 12 through 13, Paul expands there and he says, but we request of you, brethren, that you appreciate those who diligently labor among you and have charge over you in the Lord and give you instruction that you esteem them very highly in love because of their work. So this double honor, I think that the, 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 the one aspect is, is not just, um, it's not talking about financially. There's, there's simply that you as a follower of Christ, to, to have this respect um, for the structure that Christ has created with his church, that he's the one who gave pastors and teachers and, and, and gave an order from the church. He's, he's called uh, 
certain individuals to have the responsibility of leading and shepherding the church. Uh, It comes with uh, additional responsibility and burden. And so he says, for those of you who are followers of Christ, you're you're expected to be connected to the local church, they have a, a sort of respect for those that have been called to this capacity because it's better that it's them and not you. Um, it's kind of what I see here. Then we come to the remuneration, that, that, that it's reasonable uh, for, for an elder to be compensated financially. There's no way around it. You shall not muzzle the ox while you thresh, or the threshing the, the laborers worthy of his wages. I stumbled across a funny quote this week. I thought it was funny. Anna didn't find it that funny. She got kind of all mad. And I'm like, well, I, I thought it was funny. And she's like, yeah, but you didn't grow up in these churches that did this very thing. She's like, I've, I've seen churches that treat pastors that way, and so I don't find it funny. It's like, well, oh, well, I guess I can find it funny because I'm not in that situation. Um, and the, hey, here's a quote <laughs> from Christ-Centered Exposition dealing with this passage. They write, churches that follow the saying, Lord, you keep them humble and will keep them poor have missed Paul's intention. Oh, you guys don't know whether to laugh or to get upset. <laughs> it's like, uh, I come to this passage really grateful. Um, I, in entering into this uh, section or this, this portion, is I think there's two things here. Um, there's one thing is the ability of a church to pay an elder, and then there's the desire of the church to pay an, an elder well. I, I, there, there are some churches that just simply don't have the means um, to, to support a pastor, and, and that's, that, that's okay. That's, there's nothing wrong with that. It's the churches that have the means to support a pastor but choose not to because they don't, for whatever reason, do so. That, I think, is the issue that's being addressed here. Um, I remember we're we're about the 11-year mark. It was 11 years ago around this time when God began to move in our lives and and coming up here. I'd been out of the Navy for like, I don't know, a year and a half or so. We had a new little one-year-old daughter. And I really, I really sensed God was leading us somewhere, but I didn't know where. <clears throat> we had begun to sort of get our lives in order so that we were free to go wherever God wanted us. If he, if he wanted us to go to Africa, which we explored, we, were, we wanted to have our lives in order um, so that we were free to not be bound by anything, which meant that we um, we'd sold our house that we owned, we had no debt, and we were just kind of free to go wherever. And then this church popped up. And, and as things were kind of moving along to where the, the dance that was being played with the, the 10 or so people that were here and the church that was a supporting church, um, it looked like the church wanted us, and it looked like that we felt like God was calling us here. And I remember that the pastor of that bigger church um, in Mir Mesa he took, he took me to lunch with another guy at, at Mimi's Cafe in Mira Mesa off the 15 just to kind of, you need to color the picture. And I'm kind of like nervous, like, what am I doing? Like, like how is this going to work? 
And he's like, well, do you, brother, and he's like from the south, he's like, brother, do you feel like the Lord is calling you to this? I'm like, I, I, I think so, but I, it's not like I got skywriting or anything. I, I think so. I kind of have that feeling when I was a kid, and I jumped off the high dive, and I can't, like, stop it, like, and I'm moving forward. He's like, oh, that's great. And he's like, now, what are you going to do about pay? I'm like, that's a really good question. Like, I do have, like, a family, and, and I remember Googling the median home price in Valley Center, and at the time, I think it was, like, $600,000 for the average home, and there wasn't rentals up here, and it was just kind of like, I don't know how it's going to work. I'm like, I have a savings from selling the house, and we can do That'll get us a couple, like a year maybe. Like, I don't know. And he's like, well, we'll just, we'll just figure it out. You just trust the Lord. I'm like, that's not what I was like really, I was really hoping for like. I was used to the military. You got paid every two weeks whether you deserved it or not. Like it just kind of like money was deposited from people that didn't know who you were, and you worked for other people, and the pay, it was it was just different, and, and so it was, a, it was kind of a terrifying thing. And so God brought us up here, and I do, like, early on, like, this is all in the context of, of gratefulness. Like, there was, I don't need to rehash the whole story, but a number of different, there was four different groups that helped provide for us for three years. And then those groups began to fall away as the church was able to sort of handle us, um, and I'll remember one of the, there was a, a finance meeting early on, and, and the subject of pay came up. And I was like, well, I, we can survive on this. And Ruth Abbott, for those of you who know who Ruth, she looked at us and she's like, you're getting a pay raise. I'm like, Ruth, I'm okay. Like, I don't need a pay raise. She's like, no, 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 no. You're getting a pay raise. The church can handle it. You're getting a pay raise. She's like, when I was in Bible college, I didn't want to marry a pastor because I wanted to be able to provide shoes for my family. And so you're getting a pay raise. And I'm like, yes, ma'am. Like, I'll get a pay raise. And so we got a pay raise. And, and over the course of my time here, I'm just great, like, I'm deeply grateful that, that this church has cared for my family. Um, to, you know, when we had the pastor's lunch in this last time, there was a gentleman there who started asking some questions, financial questions, and, and I was kind of like, well, we're all transparent, we're talking, but he started asking, he's like, well, I need to know about your IRA, your this, and I'm like, well, sir, you're getting like, really, like, per- like but yeah, the, ch- the church has been, like, the, the church, we're connected with the denomination, I have health insurance, I have life insurance, like, I don't miss meals, and, and he's like, good, because before you know it, you're going to kind of be my age, and it's the church's responsibility to make sure that you're ready, and so just deeply humbling, but, but deeply appreciative. I, I, um, you know, I remember looking at my, like, well, the church pays for our, our staff is all covered. And they're like, well, who exactly is the staff? And I'm like, well, it's me and Melanie. Like, we're, you know, <laughs> but staff just sounds better, you know. Like, and, and, uh, and so I'm deeply grateful for the provision of this congregation towards our family. Um, and, you know, you might be thinking, I don't know what you're thinking. But isn't the pastor supposed to be free from the love of money? And on that point, I'd say a thirsty man only thinks about water. A hungry man only thinks about food. And if you, uh, a, a person that can't provide only thinks about how's he going to provide for his family. And, and so I'm grateful that this church has provided for us so that I don't have to worry about providing for my family. Um, I can focus on serving and ministering to you all, which I am feel deeply convicted to do so. Um, moving on, 
to verse 19. So in the context of, of the church's responsibility or responsibilities, we have widows, we have providing for the elders, especially for those who are teaching and preaching, and then we have protection. So verse 19 says, do not receive an accusation against an elder except on the basis of two or three witnesses. So this Next to provision, there's a responsibility of the congregation to protect the elder. Um, This is a position that criticism, anytime you stand in front of people and you talk for 40 or 50 or 55 minutes every time, um, I'm not perfect, and there's times when I hear the recording, I'm like, wait, what I said, that's not what I was thinking. Like, how in the word, like, how did that happen? And so, in this position, you subject yourself to criticism, constructive and otherwise, and and, and criticism and constructive criticism and and input, and, and... and so to be sensitive in the sense of hearing the input, but it also requires there to be like a thick skinness. Um, because my aim really is to make, like I'm accountable for you all. And so I really am concerned what God thinks. And sometimes when you try to do what God wants, it doesn't always make everybody else happy. But at the same time, God has placed the congregation for accountability's sake. But there's criticism that could come. And, and what he's talking about here is what's afforded to every Christian. Because there's nothing unusual about don't receive an accusation against an elder except on the basis of two or three witnesses. You shouldn't receive an accusation against anybody based on just rumors alone. It was Jesus in Matthew 18, remember, when Peter's in the context of forgiveness and, and Jesus basically says, hey, listen, if your brother's in sin, you go talk to your brother directly. If your brother doesn't respond to, to the confrontation, you find two or three other witnesses that agree with the assessment of the sin. If you can't find two or three people that will agree with you that there's outright sin, then you probably don't actually have sin on your hands and you need to just stand down. But if there's two or three people, then go and talk to them then. And if they don't respond then, then you bring it before the church. And, and the, the, the phrase that's so often misquoted, you know, where two or three are gathered, I'm there with you, that's dealing with church discipline because it's not pleasant. And so Paul reminds young Timothy that if you're going to receive an accusation against an elder, make sure there's two or three people verifying that this person's in sin. Now, this isn't speaking of immunity for verse 20. This isn't like, oh, the pastor's, you can't touch him. There's no criticism. There's not, like, you can't. That's not what it's saying. Verse 20, for those who continue in sin, those who are in blatant sin that refuse to repent, to move on, this isn't talking about being perfect. This is talking about a pastor who's in unrepentant sin. The church isn't to to sweep it under the carpet. Um, There's nothing worse in a church that knows of a pastor that's in sin, and then they hide it instead of dealing with it in the open. I was raised in a, in a church that, you know, for 100 years where terrible things were happening by the, by the pastors, the priests. 
and, and the huge history of reshuffling and hiding and doing stuff, that's not glorifying to the Lord or healthy for the church, nor is it biblical at, at, at any means. So it says, don't receive an accusation against an elder without two or three like, people that are coming forward and saying, yes, there is sin here and it needs to be dealt with. But those who continue in sin, rebuke in the presence of all so that the rest will be fearful of sinning. We don't have time to go into Acts chapter 5, but it's a, it's a great story. The church had been flourishing, and uh, <clears throat> people had been selling their things and sort of uh, giving uh, to the pot of the church to kind of help with people in need. It wasn't uh, socialism. It was people just sort of on their own volition being moved by the Spirit, selling their stuff, kind of giving, contributing, and, and working as a community. I probably think because all of these people who followed Christ suddenly were without the community that they were raised with, and a new community formed. Um, but then this couple comes along, Ananias and Sapphira, and so they, like the others, sold their house of their own decision, their own volition. They, they was all of their own. And we don't know the exact amounts, but if they made $100 off the sale of their house, they gave 50 bucks of it and held back 50. We don't know the percentage. But when they gave the 50%, they told everybody that they gave everything. We gave 100% of our proceeds. Long story short, the, the husbands are alone. The wife isn't there. He drops dead because he lied. Then the wife comes in. Hey, what do you guys all look really serious? What's going on? <laughs> Paul, hey, let me ask you about this house sale. Did, when you sold it, did you give 100% of the proceeds? Absolutely, that's what I did. Well, your husband said the same thing, and he dropped down dead, and we just carried him out, and they're burying him right now, and they're going to come get your body. And she dropped down dead, and it was carried out. And in verses 11 through 14, we kind of read this scene that the outsiders looking in at the church, they kind of wanted to distance it. They were kind of terrified. But they were in awe of what God was doing. And we see that God moved in this, this, this purity and this integrity um, and we see that he was adding. And so the church isn't a place to, to hide sin. It's not a place to cover up. Now, we're not saying there's no perfect person. And there's a distinction between um, falling short of what you desire. Like, I desire to be this guy. And in this body, I'll never be that guy. Like, I'm always going to fall short. That's not hypocrisy. Uh, that's kind of being human and, and trying to be like Christ, but I, I can only go so far in this sinful body. It's another thing to say, oh, this is this guy, and I'm that guy. And these sins are all really bad, and you shouldn't do these sins, and it's these sins, and if you do these sins, you're of the devil. But the reality is, is you're doing all these sins. And how many times does that come out of the news that some pastor has some face or voice piece, and he's saying, this is all bad, this is bad, homosexuality is all bad. Then the news comes out. This guy's in a homosexual relationship with all kinds of people doing all sorts of stuff. That's hypocrisy. That's a difference. And for a church to know about sin and to shove it under the carpet is a bad thing. God says, no, you deal with it. You rebuke him in the presence of all. There's no place for that in this call. Verse 21, I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and Christ Jesus and of his chosen angels to maintain the principles without basis, bias, excuse me, doing nothing in the spirit of partiality. And so discipline is an extremely tough. Like poor Timothy, like he's been projected into this situation from the first chapter. We see that there's these, there's these older gentlemen who are teaching false teaching. Timothy's young. He's, he's called to straighten it all out. 
And, and I don't know if he was struggling with partiality because this is a very stern calling out, a stern challenge from Paul to Timothy. And I think some of these older guys, maybe, this is speculation, like maybe he's known them for a long time. And some guys that he doesn't know as well, like he can, he can discipline them. But these other guys, because, you know, they've been around since I was a little kid and they've been doing this and they're big givers or they're this or they're that. And, and I, I'm just going to let them be. And Paul says, no, Timothy, there's no place for partiality within the church of God. You've, you, discipline is extremely tough, but there's no place for, for you just displaying partiality. You have to treat all the same in Christ. He goes on to say, do not lay hands upon anyone too hastily and thereby share responsibility for the sins of others. Um, One school of thought kind of thinks this is like guys who have been disciplined for sin, being restored back in the ministry. I'm not so sure about that. I think there's just sort of like a practical wisdom about this. Like anybody who's seeking a title, he's sort of saying, hey, be careful with, ti- be careful with this. Um, the, the, the needs are always going to outweigh your ability to, 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 to minister to all the people. And don't just start filling people into these spots to put people there because it's going to get you into a bind, Timothy. Allow these individuals to, to see their lives be examined um, so that you know who they are, that, that you know that they meet the qualifications in 1 Timothy 3 before you place them in this position. I'll never forget when I was getting out of the Navy. Um, anybody who gets out of the military, they have to go to a five-day course or whatever to prepare you for their civilian life. And so I went to this course. It's, everybody was there. I'd finished, I'd finished uh, Bible college at that point. I was kind of <clears throat> trying to get licensed, which is the, you know, kind of like the provisional driver's license of ministry. I'd started my Master of Divinity uh, with the aim of hopefully being ordained in a couple years, really putting myself um, <clears throat> through the grindstone uh, to, to, to prepare for the ministry. And so I was in this class, all these guys kind of getting out of the military, and there were ladies. And, <clears throat> and at one point, I, I forget how it came about, <clears throat> but the teacher, I think, <clears throat> asked everybody, like, hey, what's your plan after the military? And I said, oh, I'm leaving the SEAL teams to go become a pastor. <clears throat> the other guy, there was a guy, I'm a tattoo artist. I'm opening a business at a tattoo shop or whatever. And then we kind of went through class. Look, like a little break happened, the tattoo artist comes up to me. He says, hey, man, we're doing the same thing. <laughs> How are we doing the same thing? He's like, oh, well, I, op- I-, I-, I got my ordination online through Google. I paid 10 bucks. I got a certificate. <clears throat> and I want to have an all-inclusive tattoo parlor where if you know, a couple wants to get married, I want to be able to do that. So we're like, we're doing the same thing. And I'm like, man, I just went through Bible college. I'm like, you can get an ordination online? I didn't know that. That would have been a lot easier. Um, and I think the point is, is that you, there should be sort of accountability for a pastor, like an elder. There, there, there's a reason for Bible college and seminary and <clears throat> ordination boards, because you want to apply pressure on an individual to, to make the best assessment that you can on an individual um, before you put them into ministry. And Paul tells young Timothy, Timothy, don't, don't, 
don't quickly lay hands on anybody because if you do that, once you've ordained them, once you've placed them in there, your signature's on them and you now bear responsibility. He says, keep yourself from sin. <clears throat> no longer drink water exclusively, but use a little wine for the sake of your stomach and your frequent ailments. Now, I sort of broke that verse up that way <clears throat> because we have to remember 1 Timothy chapter 4. There were individuals <clears throat> in verse 3 that were teaching um, that you could attain holding, holiness through abstaining from certain things like marriage and eating food. And so the question that's been brought up is it seems that Timothy began abstaining um, from drinking any wine and that he'd been drinking water exclusively <clears throat> potentially for the purpose of purity. Um, so Paul says, keep yourself free from sin, dealing with the other thing, but, but it kind of bleeds in. This verse is sort of a weird how it fits in there. And he says, no longer drink water exclusively. There's a lot of, you know, it could have been the, the water um, was bad. Um, so, so wine would have been used as a way to help get sick, help to keep you from getting sick from drinking bad water. But he also expands you know, for the sake of your stomach and your frequent ailments. And there, you can read all kind of commentators <clears throat> that have different opinions and kind of their, like their position generally determines how, like their preconceived notions normally are projected into this. And so it's possible that like at a very simple reading, Timothy's like in a really, like he's in a stressful situation. And I kind of see Paul saying, Timothy, relax. Have a glass of wine. You got your stomach all knotted up. Trust God. Um, <clears throat> and before I go down too far down that road, I want to caution. The Bible makes it clear that the issue is drunkenness. Um, there's nothing against having a glass of wine, a beer. Like, but it's such a slippery slope, so there's all these guardrails, and drunkenness is very clear that drunkenness is forbidden within Scripture, but, but for Timothy to have a glass of wine for his stomach is not a problem. Um, <clears throat> verse 24, we'll just move along. <clears throat> the sins of some men are quite evident, going before them to judgment. For others, the sins follow after. Likewise also, deeds <clears throat> that are good are quite evident, and those which are otherwise cannot be concealed. <clears throat> this kind of goes back to verse 22. <clears throat> and I think, <clears throat> I think here the situation is Paul's acknowledging as a human, it's very difficult to discern the hearts of men. You can do all, you, you can do all that you can do to try to figure out the character and nature of an individual. I think he's encouraging them with time. But I think what ultimately is being said here is like there are some men that have sins that it, it, they're very evident. There are others that it's not so evident. But at the end of the day, they're going to stand before God and everything will be exposed. And he says the same thing for good deeds. Your good deeds, you can put on a big show, but you could be rotten or you could be doing good things that nobody notices. And I kind of think of Galatians 6, 9, where Paul uh, encourages the church in Galatia to 
um, to not grow weary doing good deeds, to, to recognize sort of um, our, like point number one in our conclusion for all of us is live your life for an audience of one. And what I mean by that is live your life to, to seek to please God. Because at the end of the day, it's his opinion that matters about you most and like of all. We're all going to stand before him at the judgment day. And we're all going to give an account in Christ or out of Christ. You're going to give an account. You're going to give, uh, you're going to stand before him and you're going to have to answer for the decisions and the choices that you've made. So live your life for him. You can fool me, you can fool other people, but you can't fool God. And so I'd encourage you to live in light of that reality. Uh, the second thing I want to say is, um, as an elder here, I'm an under-shepherd of Christ. This church is Jesus' church. It's not my church. Um, like, you have my commitment that I will work hard at preaching and teaching, leading and shepherding to the best of my ability by God's grace, I'll do a mediocre job. Like, I, I like really, like, my heart is to, but I'm not Christ. But, but I, I'm going to work hard to shepherd this body. I'm going to work hard when it comes to preparing for the text. Um, and finally, I just want to say, well done, Grace Point Church. Like, I, I, I'm so thankful that I come to this text and, and, and all I can just be is met with, like, gratitude, like, tears in my eyes. Like, we're a small church. Like, how the staff is provided for is beyond me, you know? Like, and I know it's through the giving of God's people who care about those who have been placed in this role. And so I, I do feel um, respected. I feel cared for. I, I'm just grateful to serve in this capacity. So I, I just want to thank you all. Um, for honoring Christ in that way and, and freeing me to serve in this capacity. I'm thankful that my family has food and clothes and shoes and a house and that we're able to you know, live in this town. And so with that, let's pray. Uh, Father, we do just thank you, Lord. We thank you for how you've cared for us. We thank you for providing for us. Lord, we thank you um, for this body at Grace Point Church. Father, I thank you for the church at large, Father, you are the one who created the church. And Father, we ask that you would help us as a congregation to honor you with how we function as a body. Jesus prayed for unity with, within his followers. And so, Lord, I ask that you would help us as a, as a congregation to stay united in our relationships that we would be united in our commitment of following and obeying you in all things. Lord, the world is a, a tempting place and it's, it's easy for us to, to try to put our trust and our, uh, our aim into other resources and other ways to try to attract a crowd. But Lord, we ask that you would help us to keep our eyes focused upon you, uh, that we would follow after you, that we would take your word seriously that we would devote ourselves to godliness as you have challenged us to uh, in this letter. Uh, Lord, we love you, we praise you, and we ask this in Christ's good name. Amen.